Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of No Rain Date, your local news and information podcast covering the Saucon Valley and beyond. These are the headlines for the week ending April 30th, 2021. And of course, I'm Josh Popachek, your host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Saucon Source. The weather is back in the news. It's been quiet for the last month or so, relatively speaking, after a very eventful winter. This time, it's not snow that we're talking about. We're worried about winds. A powerful cold front moved through the Lehigh Valley overnight Thursday into Friday, and behind it, there has been an incredible amount of wind. If you've been outside at all Friday, you know that at times it was difficult to stand. I went for a little walk around Hellertown and sort of regretted it. It was beautiful and sunny when I left my office on Main Street. By the time I got to Gristmill Park, which is only about a quarter of a mile maybe south of here, some really ominous looking dark storm clouds had moved into the area from the west. They were sort of swirling as they were moving rapidly across the horizon. And I thought, wow, you know, this probably isn't a great time to take a walk amid the tall trees which were starting to sway and bend. The wind was just literally howling. The waves were uh, rippling on the pond. The geese were perturbed, it looked like. I did walk rather briskly, aided by the wind, back to the safety of my office. However, along the way, I did see some smaller tree branches down, especially on the Saucon Rail Trail. I took some video of the wind howling in Gristmill Park and the pond, which is included in the story that was just published earlier on Saucon Source. The main impact from all this wind, of course, is power outages. Uh, PPL, as of Friday evening, was reporting approximately 17,000 customers without power across its service area. One of the largest outages, however, is actually in Lower and Upper Saucon Townships. It's concentrated along the Route 378 corridor around Black River Road. So most of the customers in that area are in Lower Saucon, and as of early Friday evening, there were 1,170 customers in that area along Route 378, Black River Road, Oakhurst Drive, up to close to Sidersville Road, and they are in the dark. The estimate for restoration of power is by 3 p.m. Saturday. Now, in the meantime, there may be additional outages because the strong winds are forecast to continue overnight Friday into Saturday with gusts of up to 60 miles per hour. That can certainly uh, bring down trees onto power lines. And so it sounded like PPL is anticipating additional outages. They highlighted in a news release that they're actually bringing in linemen from other states, including Ohio, Kentucky, and New York. They don't do that for you know any little weather event. This is pretty significant as far as the number of outages we could see. Hopefully we don't see them. So far, there have been few, if any, outages in Hellertown Borough and throughout the rest of the area. Most of the clusters of outages are small. You may have like five homes in one cluster. We're not seeing like the the huge areas like the one on 378. So that, of course, will bear monitoring and Certainly, it's, it's a time to uh, stay inside. The National Weather Service, in its high wind warning, ac- actually urged people to stay away from trees if they're spending any time outside because you never know when a tree that's weakened could collapse. And you can't tell just by looking at a tree a lot of times if the uh, you know, trunk 
is rotten and it's about to fall over. So I would hope everybody is cautious if they're walking or driving anywhere until the wind subsides and we get back to some nice spring weather, which is more or less what we've had recently. It's been warm. Certainly there's a lot of pollen in the air and there hasn't been much rain to wash it away. So a little bit of rain might be nice uh, for those of us with some allergies, but that's typical for this time of year. Turning to police news, we had a follow-up story about the tragic accident on Lanark Road in Upper Saucon that occurred on March 6th. As you may recall, uh, three young adults were killed in that crash. All three of them were part of the DeSales University community, which was devastated by this loss. A fourth person in the car, uh, DeSales Sr., did survive, and he was just released from the hospital this week. However, according to other press reports and updates on his GoFundMe page, Brandon will have a long road ahead of him in terms of his recovery, and and he'll be continuing with uh, rehab. So it sounds like he's certainly out of the uh, danger zone, but the after effects of of the accident will linger with him. And of course, the families of the three people who were killed in the crash have been devastated. Certainly the news that was released this week by the Upper Saucon Township Police Department may not be doing much to help them feel better. However, the police, of course, have a job to do, and so do we in terms of reporting on the results of their investigation. What they found, according to the news release we received, which went out to Lehigh Valley Media, the police determined as a result of their investigation The driver of the vehicle, Nicholas White, was speeding at the time of the crash. They said there were no skid marks found on the road. What happened was, for unknown reasons, the car went off one side of the road, and then police said it appeared that White overcorrected and went in the other direction across both lanes, striking one tree off to the side of the road, and then another tree at which point the car burst into flames. Tragically, of course, that resulted in three deaths. Police also said that White's blood alcohol concentration at the time of the crash was 0.14%, which is above the legal limit in Pennsylvania. In fact, that's nearly twice the legal limit. The legal limit is 0.08%. Now, I want to clarify something that was brought up in some comments on the Facebook post about this story. It was not specified in the news release exactly that the crash was the direct result of drunk driving or speeding. Police carefully worded that news release and noted that speeding had had occurred or was occurring just prior to the crash and that, of course, that Nicholas White had a blood alcohol concentration above the legal limit. However, it's not the media's job to take those facts and create a cause and effect relationship out of them. That's ultimately the job of police and the district attorney's office in a case like this. So we can't report And we won't report something as a factual cause and effect relationship in a police matter unless we have that information directly from the police. And typically that comes in the form of charges. Well, in this case, there obviously won't be any charges because the person who could have been charged is no longer alive. I was actually thinking I might post the news release from police or include it in the story to help better illustrate what I'm talking about. I know it, it can be a little bit difficult to understand sometimes the editorial decisions that we make, and I'm committed to explaining them as best as I can to help educate readers about why we make them. I don't report on anything lightly, so to speak, and certainly I put a lot of time and effort into reporting this story accurately. 
there could still be civil suits filed in this case or as a result of the crash. That is another thing to consider when reporting on something like this. I certainly would not want to misrepresent anything that did or didn't occur. I feel that our reporting on the accident was the responsible reporting that it should have been. So, of course, people will always second guess and people want concrete answers in a case like this. Three people are dead. Of course, everybody wants to know why. And I think there's a clearer idea of why, of course, at this point. But as far as actually connecting the dots and somebody saying, well, it was exactly because of drunk driving or it was exactly because of speeding. You know, what percentage of each could have factored into this? The police did not discuss that at all in the news release. And they did not specify whether there could have been other factors or whether they looked at other factors and ruled them out. The weather conditions that night were normal, but could there have been ice somewhere on the road? I'm not saying that's likely, but we have to take that into consideration. And I felt overall the news release was rather brief and certainly not exhaustive in terms of how it described the investigation, which lasted close to two months. I'm sure there was a copious amount of evidence that was reviewed, and it would be interesting to to know more about the investigation, of course, and what other factors may have been considered or ruled out. We don't have those answers right now, and that was another reason that I reported the story the, the way that I did, and I just wanted to highlight that. In other police news, we reported on a rather scary-sounding incident in Hellertown in which a resident of the 300 block of Main Street held an alleged burglar at gunpoint. This man was asleep in his home in the middle of the night when he heard noises. He apparently uh, got his weapon and went to the area of the basement door. The noises were coming from his basement. He heard somebody coming up the steps, and then the door opened, and he was face-to-face with somebody that he knew. According to police, this was Christopher Minor, and at that point, the resident, who we obviously did not name in our, in our story, had him at gunpoint, according to police. And the man, Christopher Minor, then allegedly ran off, ran back through the basement, out of the house, The resident called 911, police responded, and said they saw Minor running away from the house. For some unknown reason, police said he returned and was found hiding in the basement, at which time he was arrested, and he is charged with a number of offenses in that case. Luckily, uh, nobody was injured, that it was resolved without that happening, but certainly traumatic sounding for the resident. So we are glad that, that it, it was handled well by, by the borough police, and I'm sure the resident was thankful for their quick response as well. In uh, local traffic news, we have another update on the uh, Coopersburg West State Street Bridge situation. We were the first to report that the West State Street Bridge would have one lane closed. This was about a week ago. Uh, We were notified of that by the Coopersburg Borough Manager. It turns out PennDOT decided to close both lanes on the bridge. So that seriously restricts access to the west side of Coopersburg from Main Street. Obviously, State Street is out now. And that's going to be tough for residents and businesses on that side of the bridge, especially because there's no definite timeline for replacing it. It's a very small bridge. It's only about eight feet long, and it spans an unnamed tributary of the Saucon Creek. Coopersburg Borough Manager Tim Passhouse announced Thursday that the borough was being proactive and was planning to make John Alley which is a small street that runs 
parallel to Main Street, but on the other side of the creek and the bridge, they were planning to make that one way going north to help with traffic flow uh, around the, the closed bridge. They were also planning to make the intersection of Locust and Tillman Streets a four-way stop, and that's to help reduce speeding in that area. The official PennDOT detour around the closure uses, obviously, more highly traveled roads and incorporates Gun Club Road, rather, Mill Road and Main Street. So this is going to continue to affect residents and businesses in Coopersburg for some time to come. We certainly hope that perhaps signage will go up, directing motorists on Main Street to the businesses on the other side of the bridge closure. I know one of them is our favorite or, or one of our favorite veterinarians, Creekview Veterinary Hospital. I actually take my cats to Creekview and uh, they love Dr. Kara Balak and and so that's just one of the businesses that is on the west side of the bridge closure. So we'll continue to report on that, but be aware that you will encounter a detour on West State Street in Coopersburg for the foreseeable future. In Fountain Hill Borough news, we have some bittersweet news to share. Uh, The borough manager, Tony Branco, recently announced that he will retire from his position at the end of May. And so the search now is on for a replacement for Tony, who was also recently recognized for his outstanding efforts in securing grants for the borough. He has secured something like $7 million in grants in just six years. So that's over a million dollars a year. Well done, Tony. I've known Tony for many years, about 15 to be exact. He was heavily involved in Hellertown Borough politics when I first began covering Hellertown in 2005-2006. For a time, Tony was the president of Hellertown Borough Council. He later went on to serve as borough manager of or township manager in several other communities before landing in Fountain Hill. We're glad that he did. He had a great working relationship, I know, with St. Luke's University Health Network, which is headquartered in the borough and has been very supportive of its needs, particularly with infrastructure and vehicles. So hopefully whoever fills Tony's shoes will be able to continue that relationship. We're looking forward to finding out more about the search process and I know it'll be well underway uh, during the month of May because that's not a not a position that you can allow to go unfilled for for too long. There's a lot going on uh, even in a small community such as Fountain Hill. In local business news, we reported on some sad news. Another closing. It's 12 closings, in fact. National Auto Stores announced that they were closing all. 12 of their remaining locations, including their Hellertown store, which is located in the shops at Hellertown. All of the stores were to close for good on Friday, April 30th. National Auto stores have been in business since 1969. And I know at one time they had many more locations than they did at the time of their closing. As a kid, I can remember visiting the the National Auto store that was on 309 at Pumping Station Road on the north side of Quakertown. I believe that's Richland Township. That was there for years. The building is still there, but National Auto is long gone. The reason for the closure was not very specific. It Signs on the doors said that the marketplace has changed. Well, that's pretty, pretty evident. But beyond that, there was no attribution as far as whether you know COVID-19 played a role. Certainly the pandemic resulted in many more people shopping online, including for things like auto parts. So that's purely speculation. But regardless, uh, it's, it's another closing in a year that has seen many businesses fail. And it's not good news for the shopping center either, which already has a high vacancy rate. The closing of National Auto will leave at least 
five of the storefronts in that shopping center vacant and there are only about 15 maybe so it's in the range of 33% to 35%, something like that. Bank of America will become a Starbucks. That's a done deal, but it's still vacant. There hasn't been much work going on there lately. I believe the Morning Call reported recently that the Starbucks is supposed to open in September. That's at the corner of Polk Valley Road and Main Street in Hellertown. I have not confirmed that anywhere else, but uh, perhaps that will help ignite some more interest in the shopping center. I'm sure that's what the leasing agents are hoping will happen. And of course, hoping that the economy will continue to improve throughout 2021, uh, which it seems to be doing. Finally, some happy news. The Saucon Valley Farmers Market is back. Market opens for its 16th season, Sunday, May 2nd next to the Hellertown Area Library on Constitution Avenue in Hellertown. The market is open from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. every Sunday from early May through late November. The last market this year will be held November 21st. What's great about the Saucon Valley Farmers Market? Well, you have about 25 vendors there who sell locally grown produce, farm-raised meats, locally produced cheeses, baked goods, all kinds of delicious foods, including prepared foods. You can get coffee there. There are artisans who have stands at the market. There's live music every week. Just a, a wonderful atmosphere. It's a, it's a nice place to enjoy the sunshine. There's a, a beautiful playground right across the street in Dimmick Park for families to enjoy while they're visiting the market. And of course, all the other facilities in Dimmick Park. In the summertime, the pool is close by. There's plenty of parking on the street there and in the parking lot at the library. So it's very accessible. And we're excited to cover the opening day. We'll have our photographer there, Chris Christian, to get some photos. Hopefully the weather cooperates, but I know regardless, everyone will enjoy it. And the market is still looking for volunteers. So if you have any interest in volunteering, I know they need to fill a number of roles. There are still going to be safety precautions in place due to COVID-19. It's not going to be like it was a year ago uh, with all of the uh, barriers up, but masking will still be required, social distancing. There will be hand sanitizing stations available and hopefully everybody will be happy to use those. COVID is still an issue, although many more people are vaccinated than they were just a month ago. But certainly if you're interacting out in public, you still need to be cautious. So we are looking forward to covering the market and we will have profiles of some new vendors on Sock and Source in the near future. Look for that and check out our story about opening day. That's the news roundup for April 30th, 2021, and thanks for joining us. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community. And it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source 
which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop, or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome our special guest, Doug Royston from the Mock Turtle Marionette Theater and the Ice House in Bethlehem. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great. This is fun. It's fun <laughs> to be here. The Ice House in, in Bethlehem is definitely a landmark. And I, I mean, I grew up in Bethlehem and, and I can remember when it was derelict back in the 1980s, I guess, 19, mm -hmm. early 1990s, and it's part of Sand Island Park, so it's adjacent to the, the Lehigh River. It's really in a beautiful location. Tell us about how it went from being that sort of forgotten part of the past to this vibrant cultural center that it is today. Sure. The Ice House, as you said, had, uh, I think the last ice went out of it around 1976 something like that. It was built in 1899. Yes, and, and uh, served and brought ice to Bethlehem for years and years. And then at around 1995, as it was just being used for storage, it was recognized to be one of the last true ice houses in the mid-Atlantic region. Hmm. So it, it was saved by its historic singularity, let's put it that way. And then it stood there for a year or so with this newfound glory, that is, <laughs> it's as a historic site, and nobody knew quite what to do with it. And to make a long story short, Mock Turtle, that's me, Touchstone Theater, Pennsylvania Youth Theater, and Godfrey Daniels all got together and said, hey, can we, can we turn this into a performing arts place. That consortium gathered together and the city under Char Charlie Brown said, yes, we can do this. Those are back in the good old days when there was a little more money than there used to be. Mm -hmm. than there is now. And so the Ice House was established as a performing arts space. That's, that's how that went. And from that point on, eventually what happened is Mock Turtle Marionette Theater kind of got the upstairs, and Pew Pennsylvania Youth Theater kind of got the downstairs, because there's a loft theater and there's a downstairs theater. We pretty much turned this into a children's theater spot up until around 2014, and it still is to some extent, especially with Pennsylvania Youth Theater. But in 2014, I was standing there one day and recognizing the as active as the ice house was, the amount of dark time at night was just huge. So we decided it's time to start doing night shows. And it's time to start doing night shows for adults. From that point on, we established the series that we're talking about today, and that's called Ice House Tonight. We can talk about that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Well, certainly it's, it seems to me that in the intervening years from the 90s till 2014, Bethlehem sort of, especially downtown Bethlehem, and then the south side with the development of the former Bethlehem Steel property has sort of undergone this renaissance and, and you have more, more tourism here and, and more adults coming in seeking entertainment. So that seems like it was, it was a great timing to do something like that. Was that part of the, the rationale? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Bethlehem, we don't quite know how unique Bethlehem is. What I always say is Bethlehem turned from a, a steel town into an art town. Hmm. And we're not quite sure 
how impressive that is. I, I, I think that not many people have had this incredible shift mm-hmm. uh, as much as Bethlehem has. And that goes, we can talk a lot about all the different things that happened, but Bethlehem has a really an amazing number of arts events that happen every year. I was comparing it to, to uh, small state capitals hmm. in the United States. I think we have as many or more arts events in Bethlehem than many places that are much larger. I think that's a fair comparison. And I agree with you that those of us who are lucky enough to live here would probably forget that it's, you know, a little bit unusual to to have that. Mm -hmm. And then, and especially the fact that it was, you know, a generation or two ago, mainly just an industrial center without mm-hmm. all these cultural opportunities. That's yeah, it's, 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 it, it would be nice to, uh, to see a study, you know, like uh, how many places have this many small arts organizations, this whole set of festivals, the creation of larger venues. It's very impressive. Yeah. And so it was, I'm not 28 years old anymore. Uh, <laughs> I had the uh, good luck of being here and being up to my neck in it and being part of the whole thing. Right, the ground I, I think I think you can mark the beginning with, well, you can certainly mark the beginning with Music Fest 1. And I was part of that. <laughs> that gives you an indication of where I'm at. And maybe uh, Godfrey Daniels. Yeah. A little bit before uh, yeah, that. The, the, yeah, the whole set of Godfrey Daniels, Touchstone, Mock Turtle, all uh, PYT, all of us got born at about the same time. Right, uh, late 70s, early 80s. And we know each other very well. Right. Before we get further into talking about the more recent, you know, focus on live evening performances, can you talk, tell us a little bit about the building itself, especially for those who may not have been there before? Obviously, it's a historic building. It's a beautiful building inside. It's, you've got a large open space. It's very mm-hmm. rustic looking. And, and I'm just curious about like the acoustics and, and how, how that is in, inside. Yeah. Yeah, people love it. People love the, love the ice house. They love the brick wall. And they love, love the loft. It has a, has a nice loft theater that takes about 80 people. And it's fully lit. They put real money into the theater and lighting and the and the sound. We did the same with the uh, lighting upstairs and the at basically a black box theater up there. And so you have two very functional theaters. It's surrounded by a canal on one side and the Lehigh River on the other. It, you know, it connects with the steel on one end and downtown on the other. So yeah, it's really well placed. It's a special building, and of course, it, it was saved because of its history. Right. The one thing that probably just for the heck of it, everybody ought to know, I think, our series before the pandemic was up to 120 shows. Wow. And the Ice House itself, if you took our series and what PYT's, Pennsylvania Youth Series, and we also we also host Celtic Classic. There's probably about 250 shows a year that go on in the Ice House. That is not that known a fact. <laughs> I certainly didn't know that. That's an impressive number, definitely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of shows going on, yeah. From the outside, and maybe it's because it's sort of set, set off by itself, the building, it, it doesn't look that big you know like but inside it's a little bit deceptive mm-hmm. i almost think we, we can we can take 300 people max inside upstairs we can take between 80 and a little more huh. uh, upstairs essentially that means there's two different kinds of shows there's a, a big shows and then there's some the more intimate shows that would be upstairs so yeah right. that's the way that goes 300 is a nice capacity because it's it's bigger yeah. than too small, but it's it's not big enough that it would be you know like you would feel lost attending something. No, there. no, it's a 
Yeah, it's, it's 300 is, is a lot of people for what we do. Mm-hmm. All right. We are, and this could segue into a whole nother angle on everything. I'm not going to let it because we'll, we'll, we'll get to it sooner or later. But there is a real community asset aspect to this place. So many of the shows, you meet the artists at the end of the show. You probably even know the artists. There's a lot of post-show talkbacks. Yeah, so, you know, 300 pretty much to do that well. Most, mm-hmm. but, the, but, but the downstairs is generally getting 150 to 200. Upstairs is usually getting around 70 or 80. And I like to call it the creative audience. This is not a butts and seats. This is an active audience versus a passive audience. So the numbers are nice to see. Yeah, this, those are max. But, but the, great, the great numbers really are, you know, uh, a downstairs at 175, which is just really rich, and upstairs at around 75, which is really intimate. And uh, this is what makes the Ice House special. So. Great. So let's go back to when you first decided that you were going to become this more diverse venue in terms of performances at that point Mm -hmm. how did you develop or you know outreach to the local arts community and develop a schedule and and what was the process like at that point sure that's a perfect question to ask we just talked about numbers and then we talked about audience numbers and then there's another set of numbers. And that's my, those are my favorite numbers. And those numbers are, we almost with around 35 different arts groups and individual artists who perform there now. Hmm. In other words, it's, it's our artist partners. Huge percentage of them are actually from Bethlehem mm-hmm. uh, or in the exact area. And uh, the rest of them would be from the Greater Lehigh Valley but these are all local arts organizations and artists. They are the lifeblood and the reason for the Ice House. The nature of the performers there is moving us towards a discussion of mission and a discussion of the philosophy of the Ice House. In other words, it it is a stage for local artists. It is not a roadhouse. No, I think that's a very important distinction, and I think that's wonderful that you made a conscious effort to focus on the local aspect, which is not the most common way to do it, probably. Yeah. I just wanted to get into like the, the different genres that are represented by mm-hmm. this group, and I know it's a, it's a very big spread. Well, the, let me just... I'll tell you where this goes. There's all of these, we have artists of all sorts. We're very, very, very concerned about making sure that we uh, create a stage for for diversity. We create a stage for women. We address gender issues. We go over to the other side where we address social issues at the Ice House. It's a stage for those things. And it's an outlet for all the different kinds of people. And as far and then as far as discipline goes, we've been, always been children's stuff there, but we have a, a monthly poetry workshop series, monthly jazz. We're about to have a monthly comedy. These are workshops. Anybody can come and be part of it. For instance, if it's the poetry one, you would it may be a combination of poetry workshop and then at the end of it, people would read their poems, that sort of thing. It's okay. extremely audience friendly. Boy, that, that's, a, that's a useless term. Integrated right. uh, with audience. Artists and audiences integrated. And then we have groups like Tape Swap Radio who are uh, locked into the local bands. We get a new phenomenon that's called Arts Incubator. This is a stage for young artists in this, the, the greater Bethlehem area emerging artists, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's tremendously varied. We're looking forward to having an Indian musician in to do a monthly Indian music-yoga. We have um, 
Lehigh Valley girls rock. They're great. And they, until the COVID hit, they, were, they had done their first exercise, rock and roll exercise program. So I'm just going off the top of my head with all this stuff to give you a sense of the action right. that the ice has, the things that are happening. And the things that are happening are founded not in us having a bunch of money and looking in books and calling up a bunch of art art agents. The variety that you're seeing at the Ice House is directly rooted in the people and the young artists and the old artists, too. It's rooted in the actual artists of the Valley. And so if I'm describing something that's tremendously varied, I'm also describing this great variety of artists will make it very. I love the fact that, that you're hosting more workshops because to me that's something that's maybe you know more becoming more popular. I think not as many people want to just go and sit and be you know entertained. They want to I'm, take an I'm really part. glad you said that because I could not agree more. I just love the workshops. Right now, as I said, we have ranging from one night to another, but there's a monthly jazz, a monthly uh, poetry, monthly, we're going to have monthly comedy, and we're going to have a monthly, the High Valley Girls Rock are going to be bi-monthly. I'm hoping and hoping that we'll have our Indian woman, Arati Shah, who's an amazing musician and a composer, bringing in uh, that whole exotic Indian dimension to the ice house is so cool but i am glad you pointed out yes we, uh, you know it, the weekend shows are great and all that you know but the intensity of the of local that you get with workshop dash performance sessions is really rich right and it's a learning opportunity too i think yeah well you know i'm, I'm going to make a little segue here while i got you so off of what you just said, okay, it's a learning opportunity. That over this time, we okay, we have like I said, there's like between 30 and 40 artists going to be in the next coming year. It started out with five or six back in 2014, and it's grown. It's grown to this now, and and really, as it's grown, I've been sitting around and analyzing it and trying to come up with a word for what we're doing. And we tried a lot of words. We tried the sustainable arts community. We used the word arts community. We used the word regional arts, et cetera. But, but eventually we came, I did anyhow, landed on a very simple term. And it's, it's the local culture. And the local culture is what's significant about finding that term because that's what they are. The Ice House is a locus for the local culture. And, and the significance of that term is that that means it's different from the local entertainment venues. It's different from the local academic institutions. It's different from local commercial arts. It's based on local history, local people, local education. It's based, it's, it's grassroots. It's, it's what's here. And it's also on, on small business. It's these forces that interact with each other and integrate with each other. And that's a culture. That's what a culture is. And so it's very different from, let's see how much money we can make on this show. And, uh, you know, the, the, not to say there's some, anything, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with the, the arts of the local economy. Right. But uh, it, it's different. It's, and by the way, your show is part of the local culture. Mm-hmm. That's what you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good feeling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think yeah. it's interesting that you said that because when I was thinking about the Ice House and, and questions, and I mean, local was definitely... In my mind, I, th- I think the the term I, mm-hmm. I, that came into my mind was like that it's sort of uniquely Bethlehem, and that that reflects that the history and and the current you know 
focus on local culture sort of yeah. together. You know, it took me a long time to use the term local, particularly in the two, early 2000s, the word local got a very bad rap. It, it was used to marginalize small arts of an area. So most artists learned to pull away from calling themselves local artists. And it wasn't until even four years, three years ago, that I began, you know, and I was right there with them. Don't call me a local artist. You know? <laughs> uh, but I'm actually going to segue back to the point, the reason why we started this. I, I have grown to embrace the notion of the local art. I like to compare what we're talking about is like in, in anthropo anthropological terms, you would call these microcultures. For instance, a set of, of Pacific Islands each one of the islands would, would have its own little microculture. And that's the way I see the cities, middle-sized cities. They all have their own history, their own group of eccentric people, et cetera, that create this local culture. And now I'm going to get to the point you, you made that got me into this. And that was when you said that you pointed out about learning. The punchline of most of the things that I think about is this idea that maybe the local people are kind of amateur or the local people are you know, not as professional. And I think the fact of the matter is that the culture makes their own artists. That's because they give them a stage. That's because they, they support them. That's because they give them work. And the ball game is that they learn and they get good. And if you nurture enough artists, and that's what the ICAS is about. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're creating a rich destination. So I can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is about the, 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 my punchline is that artists make great places, but great places make artists. It's a lost piece of the puzzle. When we spend all our money on somebody coming in from San Francisco or somebody coming in from New York and leaving, Mm -hmm. doing the show and leaving as opposed to let's spend our money growing our own artists it's as simple as that no I, I'm glad you said all that because like you said I mean I am well I am myself and part of the local localist movement or locavore movement only mm -hmm. with news really and and podcasting obviously and that is, yeah, it is. a more recent phenomenon definitely that and the small radio stations, those little worlds, they are their own microcultures. I have no question that we're on the forefront of, of what needs to happen. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what really this is about boils down to, to living rich, interactive lives with each other. That's what this is all about when, it's that, when you break it down. So at this point, I think I want to touch on the last year and COVID-19. Let's go back sure. to March 2020. Everything's going great. You're, you know, you have all these yep. performances booked and everybody's excited. And then, you know, boom, like the curtain comes down literally. Yeah. <laughs> and that was very difficult emotionally, financially for yep. many people. You know, it's, it is, it, you're it's absolutely right. I mean, I, I closed down over 120 shows. Uh, more than that, I hate to use the term silver lining, but you knew I was going to do that. <laughs> right? The fact of the matter is, it could be one of the best things that could have happened in terms of, we'll see, we shall see. The fact of the matter is that, as I said, in 2014, we start out with five or six acts. And by 2019, we were up, in five years, we were up to over about 35. This is fast, this is actually very fast growth. And all the while we're, you know, making sure that everything gets, evolves professionally and our lights get better and it goes on and on and on and then we stop. Well, the good news is we, we've now gone virtual. We have a, a whole virtual arm to the, to the place. As we go into the next year, we're 
we're going to be doing a, one one special streamed virtual concert a month. That's called a Live from the Ice House. And then we're going to have another set of videos called Ice House Tonight Presents. And that's really interesting, too, because back to the notion of local culture, we're kind of interested in documenting the local culture on video. There's a whole video arm that's, that's happened. We were able to get a new website during this time. We improved our promotion during this time. We're with Fig Magazine and a few things. So, you know, there was a lot of good growth, and we've also hired a fundraiser. So uh, there is a lot of the next thing mm-hmm. happening. And it really did take a stopping. The bad news about, you know, the bad news is clear, but not only did we get time, we weren't spending any money. We were saving money over the whole year. And that money went into video, and it went into promotion and in a website. So well, that's it, great. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> but, glad to hear that because, you know, everybody's situation was different at that point. Mm-hmm. And... I guess it was fortunate that you were already, you know, well into this sort of second phase of the development mm-hmm. of the Ice House, and, and you hadn't just launched that the day before, so it gave you, you know, but it gave you time to, to reassess and, and build on what you already had, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We learned how to put things on stage. We learned how to partner with multiple artists, learn how to make sure the building didn't get burned down, learn how to make sure that the doors got locked. All of the good stuff that, that it takes to put shows on stage. And it took us to the next step, and that, 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 is, that is sustainability. And that's what we're looking at now. In theory, if we've made a good enough thing out of this ice house, we ought to be able to, quote, sell it. And that, that means we find people who say, yeah, we, we like what you're doing. We get it. We see how it works. I'm not an artist, but I can give money. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not an artist, or I can be a member or a volunteer. That's where we're at now. That's exactly what he did. That's like a perfect segue for my next question, which was about financial sust- sustainability and how yeah. that works. I'm sure it's, it's through a combination of things. But I also wanted to ask, you know, how how individuals how and yeah. businesses mm-hmm. can become patrons of the the ice house, and and what you know, like, can you buy a season pass? You know, be a season ticket holder, or, or how does that work? Okay, so so basically, the central reason this works, and this is really part of the larger picture is that we are we have a 20-some year partnership with the city of Bethlehem, really. We've worked with Bethlehem for the last 25 years. We have this tremendous trust between us. Basically, this is the Ice House providing a link between the city of Bethlehem and the small arts community of Bethlehem. And for that, we don't get the building for free but we get it at an affordable rate. We can afford it. Mm-hmm. And they care that we can afford it, you know? So there is your first place in this. That is that through, through a series of grants, not a heck of a lot, but enough, we've been able to pay the rent at the Ice House at an affordable rate because we have a really good partnership with the city of Bethlehem. And... That's a win-win. It's good for Bethlehem as well as it's good for us. So here's an old building that got rebuilt inside with into a theater, and here it is doing all this work, putting out 200 to 250 shows a year. That's the central financial theme here. The second one is that the artist gets the gate. That's basically it. Most shows, they get the rent-free, and they get the gig. So there is not a need for us to raise thousands of dollars to pay artists. 
really, artists make out pretty well by doing the game. Even modest ticket prices, again, affordable to, to the public. And there's a lot of tickets sold. But this is all internal. This is between the artists and the game. It's kind of a cooperative in that sense. Mm-hmm. So when, when all is said and done, there is not a whole, whole lot of money going out to make this happen. And then there's the other thing. <laughs> We're not paying our uh, fearless leader. Fearless leader being me. Uh, I, I really had it made for a lot of years. And when I got to be a certain age, I just left into this thing, and, and, and it's a ball. I have not needed to be paid to make the ice house work. I'm, there's a lot of people who retire to do cool things, and this is the cool thing I've done. So. Well, that's very generous of, <laughs> of your time. Well, you know, it's, you know, some people have a lot of money to give away. I've had a lot of, of connections, you know, mm-hmm. uh, knowing so many of the people in Bethlehem. So, yeah, these are the pieces. Now, will that go into the future? No. There has to be more money to go into the future because I'm not going to do this for for the next 40 years. (laughs) And that's what we're working on now. We're working on the next step. And the next step would have, is going to require more money than we've, we've been able to do this at a reasonable amount of money. The future will cost a little more, but not a, you know, it's, it's not huge. It's not insurmountable amount of money that it will take to do in the future. We're going to have to pay for somebody maybe a really decent half-time salary or something. Maybe a decent full-time salary. We'll see. One Somebody's got to replace me. <laughs> in short, somebody has to replace me someday. Well, those are <laughs> going to be pretty big shoes to fill with you, with your your history there and the, yeah, the relationships you, know, some, you have. There's some people in this town that just know what the hell they're doing. You know, they really do. It'll be good. It'll be good. We also are going under a new 501c3. Okay. It's called Eastern Pennsylvania Arts Alliance. Yeah, so that's cooking too right now. There's a lot of really good things. And again, having over a year off has not hurt us in terms of uh, growing this place. I also wanted to ask you about private events because before the mm-hmm. pandemic, the Ice House was a venue that was used for uh, weddings. I saw some beautiful photos online yeah. of weddings that were held yeah. there. Is that something that's going to come back? And that's obviously a source of income for the Ice House. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, there's not going to be so many weddings in the future. Uh, what, what would happen with the weddings is pretty simple. The uh, risers inside the building those risers cost a lot of money in, in over a hundred grand and they kept being picked up, taken up and, and put back. Hmm. And so there will be special occasions in the ice house and probably small weddings and stuff. But right now we're, the larger weddings are probably not going to be half as many as there were. And to be honest, you know, I, I want as many arts, arts events as I can get in there. So. Well, yeah, that's, that's your that's, fundamental mission. You know, uh, but, you know, that's, it, it, yeah, that was, the weddings were very popular. Not going to be very many weddings very, anymore, given, given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, no, you have to protect your, your asset, and your asset is the building mm-hmm. and, and yeah. your reputation as an arts venue. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's, that's it. And, and weddings are very, actually, weddings are really hard on buildings. Mm, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Just looking ahead through 2021, what are things looking like for in-person events and, like, with restrictions in place for COVID? Is, is that something that's... Okay, yeah. I thought that we would maybe be ready to start cooking again in June. And it is looking not, there, there will be a couple things going on in June, July, and August, but not much and not big. And half of them are gonna be video. Mm. So there's just a handful of things, but I have, I have now turned in a full 
pre-year 2000 schedule beginning in September. So uh, lots of stuff beginning in September. Well, that's um, exciting. It, yeah. So a lot of people are projecting in the, in the performing arts are looking happily towards September as the place to start again. Mm-hmm. It could be that there would be a, some limitation on the size of audiences. That's okay. That'd be all right. But the hope is COVID is over, quote, over in September, although there will be things that happen during the summer, but not not a whole lot. Now, for people to stay up to date on everything, do you have like a newsletter they can subscribe to or? No, we have we have we have a uh, icehouse.com website. I expect it to be completely filled in by June. You know, okay. the, the uh, September schedule should be on there in June, plus plus the handful of summer shows. It's the website. So bookmark icehouse.com, and then <laughs> tickets are going to be sold on online? No, everything's, most things are at the gate. That's another thing. That's another, um, venues um, are, are the partners are totally responsible for their own gate, their own tickets, their own this, their own that. It was that they were responsible for 90% of their the promotion of their show. That has gotten a lot better. We've, we're doing a lot more joint promotion. That's the aspect of the ice house that's co-op-like. People have to do their own box office. They do their own cleanup and their own setup. That's how the ice house works. Hmm. That's how it's affordable. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. That's a, that's a good yeah. good model for... Cutting costs and an yeah, equalizer. Yeah, it's pretty streamlined. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the other side of that is that the more you do this, you know, by the time you've done your fourth or fifth show at the Ice House, Ice House Tonight show, you are Ice House Tonight person. I mean, you're, <laughs> you, you know, you, you are one of us. And really, no one has terribly messed things up. There is not a history of our artist partners going there and, and screwing things up, leaving doors open or messes behind. People get it, you know? It's mm-hmm. like it, they do regard it as their space. That's the beauty of the Ice House, really. That's definitely special so, when you have that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like we could we could spend another hour probably, you know, talking... <laughs> further about about this special place and we'll have to do maybe a part two at some point because there's so much history and you have such a bright future too but for the time being i think we'll leave it at that and you know just to summarize the ice house you know you can visit icehouse.com for more information and look for go ahead i just have one like kind of closing thing to say sure. I, I think that uh, as we close here <laughs> right now the ice house has moved from an idea to what i would call a model that's where it's at right now and the model is now looking forward to becoming sustainable on the level that it would become an institution okay as an institution that means it does take more money it does take uh, at least one paid person, etc. That's what's happening. But from my point of view, a lot of this is like social engineering. I mean, it, to me, you know, I, I think this is all exciting stuff. I think that the the, my, the punchline for what I'm doing is that 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 I should we should be able to go look over at Easton and say, Easton, where's your ice house? Come on, <laughs> Allentown, where's your ice house? Where's the place you? Where's right. the place you grow your your own local artists? I get I, that. I think that I think that that's. It could be that you know there's no money or something like that. You know, right. at least we would have created this model of what it means to grow your own artists that would serve, that do serve, cultural growth of a place, mm-hmm. and that's the name of the game. I would love to think there's a day when people spend at least as much money on that as they do on entertainment. So yeah. That's the punchline. 
Well, that's a fantastic, fantastic goal, and you're in a great place to be right now for for seeing that realized. So, mm-hmm. and of course, I can relate once again because, you know, I with sock and source, I go places, other areas, and I'm like, where, where's the sock and source? You know, where's the local news source that's you know independent and and a lot of times they don't have one, but that is changing yeah. too. So. It's pretty clear that this has been kind of a journey, you know, and it's still going on. Another word I don't like to use, but I will. And I think you're going to find that with what you're doing. Where does this thing go? How does this thing serve people? And how does it bring people in? And how how does it create something new? You know, and it's the same thing with what you're doing with your... uh, Yeah, they're they're parallel, definitely. Lots of parallels there. Well, thank you again... Doug, for taking the time to join us and, and sharing so much great information with our listeners. And we're excited yep. for the, you know, for the fall especially. Mm-hmm. We'll keep following you and, and we'll keep our Sock and Source readers and No Rain Day listeners apprised of, of all the, the upcoming developments. Yeah, and, and, uh, and uh, for instance, if you, you know, down the line, you know, it's amazing, you know. One of our main Syrian uh, group members said today, uh, oh, my God, you know, Sand Island Underground Railway passed through Sand Island. Oh, my God. You know, you know that's almost like another show, you know. <laughs> you know, if you, think of, if you think of us again, we're around. Definitely. Thank you again. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Every night, he climbs the tower, sees your face on every dollar.